Welcome to The Art Career, a space breaking barriers by letting you sit in on candid, straightforward conversations with leading art professionals in visual arts, writing, music, theater, and film. I'm your host, Emily McElreath, and I invite you to join me for inspirational conversations with icons of our generation. We dive deep into topics like self-development, career trajectories, mental health, social justice, and the artists that have changed our lives. With each episode, our mission is to empower you, expanding your journey through the arts. Join us for new episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. The Art Career is thrilled to announce its sponsorship from the New York Studio School for Season 4. Founded in 1964 as an intensive studio arts program with an emphasis on perception, artists learning from artists, and drawing as the most direct means of describing one's ideas or experiences, the Studio School offers an array of full-time and part-time programs that prioritize small classes and individual guidance from dedicated instructors distinguished in their fields. It is located in the heart of Greenwich Village in a national historic landmark building that was once home to the original Whitney Museum of American Art. The school invites you to join its free public programming, including the evening lecture series, which for more than half a century has been a cornerstone of the New York City art world and can now be experienced worldwide via live streaming. Visit nyss.org to enroll in classes, see what's on in the gallery, register for evening classes, and more. To learn more about full-time study at New York Studio School, schedule an in-person tour or a virtual meeting by emailing info at newyorkstudioschool.org. Micheline Thomas makes paintings, collages, photography, video, and installations that draw on art history and popular culture to create a contemporary vision of female sexuality, beauty, and power. Blurring the distinction between object and subject, concrete and abstract, real and imaginary, Thomas constructs complex portraits landscapes, and interiors in order to examine how identity, gender, and sense of self are informed by the way women and feminine spaces are represented in art and popular culture. Thomas received a BFA from Pratt Institute in 2000 and an MFA from Yale University in 2002. In 2012, a blockbuster Brooklyn Museum exhibition established Thomas as one of the leading artists of her generation. In the decades since, Micheline's work has been purchased by institutions ranging from the Museum of Modern Art to the Guggenheim, from the Whitney to the Studio Museum in Harlem, and from museums in Boston, Chicago, Tokyo, and more. She has held solo exhibitions all over the world. 
Thomas has truly become a master of the female nude form and erotic suggestion, in addition to having the drive and commitment to her practice that is completely unparalleled. Micheline, it is a true honor to be sitting with you here today. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Emily. I'm so glad to be on this podcast. Yeah, I was thrilled when you accepted my invitation. Micheline and I met virtually. Yeah, you were generous with your time to come on and speak to the artists uh, at Pratt Forward for Jane South and I first iteration, which was a real incredible success. And so appreciate you for taking your time and lending your expertise. All the artists just left with sort of a sort of wealth of information that they all carry with them today. And I think that's really important and needed in a community of artists that the art leaders are giving back in their own way to help foster and encourage artists to do their best. And we can only do that if we have support, supporters like yourself. Well, thank you. And yourself and this program that you and Jane are leading. We can get into it later on, but it's such a gift to the community. As you know, um, you know our mission, my mission, as you know as well, and what we're doing here at The Art Career is just that, right? Mm-hmm. It's speaking to leading professionals mm-hmm. and establishing, you know, some groundwork and rootedness and support mm-hmm. for our community and for our emerging community, because that is what we need right yeah. now. So yeah. we're sitting here in New Lab in the Brooklyn Navy mm-hmm. Yard. Mm-hmm. It will be the new home for 2022 in October for the new cohorts of Pratt Forward this year. And we're so grateful and appreciative of our collaboration with New Lab and David Belt and his team. It's just, we would not be able to do this without their support. And the space is just incredible. It's, I, it's I wish everyone could see this you space. Know, it's the unbelievable. Sort of everyone being creative and innovative and coming up with ideas and just like creating impact and putting cool things out into the world. So let's go way back. You graduated from Yale. Before that, Pratt. Pratt was lucky to have you. Yo, Pratt was good to me in so many ways. Like You had a great experience? I had a a phenomenal experience. I didn't take anything for granted. I took advantage of every opportunity on that campus. I was like an RA. I was a, you know... (laughs) RD. I worked in the student activities. I participated and volunteered for this. I was part of the Black Alumni Association. I did. I did everything. I did everything. I was all over that campus, <laughs> just doing stuff. Cool. It was exciting for me because I had just moved from Portland, Oregon, and here I was an older student, and I was walking into a institution that had a vigorous foundation and I was surrounded by these kids at the time who were coming out of high school mm-hmm. talented as hell right I'm talking about talented as yeah. can draw and paint their asses off they're like draw this boop 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 you know what I mean? And you're thinking that you were going to be a lawyer. Smith's, yeah. And I'm <laughs> coming from being a lawyer. Yeah. And they're like, had awards from like showing at the Smithsonian and doing all this stuff. And I'm just like, okay, I have to 
really fine tune my skills. And so I just really delve in. But because I was an older student, I connected with a lot of the faculty there mm-hmm. because I was same age as some of them. And so they pretty much took me under their wing and just guided me and mentored me and just gave me like, this is what you need to do. This is the scope. And so I just followed those rules and I did it. And I did it probably like a little more than most people would do. And so I was always in my studio, always asking questions, always engaging and just being very present. And I think a lot of what I and who I am today stems from my training and education from Pratt Institute, really. And so coming back full circle and collaborating with them is always something that I imagined but not at this time. You know what I mean? Like I always, I was happy that it was like, they gave me my first teaching gig, Mm -hmm. you know? So Mm -hmm. it was a great way to sort of test my knowledge and my skills. And it was like a lot of sort of tripping over my shoelaces, like, okay, can I do this? I was able to take what I learned at Yale and apply it to the students at Pratt because those instructors were just really coming from their life experience Mm -hmm. because they were all artists, working Mm -hmm. artists. And I remember Sean Landers telling us, I'm not a teacher, I'm an artist, and I can teach you how to be an artist. And That's what you need. Exactly. And that for me, that was like, that's how I want to teach. I have great respect for the pedagogical process for people who are teachers, but that's a great skill, right? That's a really nuanced skill to really know how to teach someone what you can do, what I can do is give my life experiences as an artist. And so that's how I teach. I bring, I come from that personal perspective. And ultimately, especially when you get to a point of getting your master's, that's what you need. I mean, that's, that's what you need. Yes. Um, Yes. It's not as nuanced as the undergraduate teaching, but what's a better teacher than experience? Yeah. And it's scary because you're like, okay, my gosh, I have to provide some information. And they're looking at me thinking that I know stuff that I may or may not know. But Pratt allowing me that opportunity just really um, validated for me um, some of my mission and things that I want to do, not only as a visual artist, but just personally as a person, you know? And how I want to be involved with this community. And I love this area. I love Being in Brooklyn, I was just going to say. I mean. I love Fort Greene. I've been here for over 20 plus years in this area. When I graduated from Yale, I came back. Yeah. This is my stomping ground. So I, I, and I love that now there's like places like the new lab, there's all of these foundations developing and this Navy yard is just like, this whole area is just like, wow. It's wild. It's wild. And so I'm happy to see that artists are coming back here yeah, because so many of them have shifted to like Greenpoint and Williamsburg and Red Hook. And so we lost a lot of artists from Pratt were just like, okay, they're going to go to the hub, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. You know, so they were all leaving Pratt and going to Williamsburg uh-huh. and to those artist communities. So it's nice that the energy is circling back coming here. back here. It's coming back. And it really is such a beautiful yeah. part of Brooklyn. I love it here yeah. as well. It's the best part of Brooklyn, really. It is. <laughs> so I was listening. I obviously knew a lot about you before I started researching this interview because I'm always fully prepared. 
I didn't know everything, and I read, you know, every. It's it's a really cool experience. We're on season two now, but I never knew how much I would enjoy this process mm-hmm. of interviewing people mm-hmm. and the intimacy of it, yeah. and how you really take a deep dive into everything you can find about the person. I mean, yeah, speaking yeah. of school, the last yeah. time I really did that was when I was, you know, writing an essay, yeah, undergrad, yeah, or yeah. doing right when you're just like taking every book out of the library, yeah. or like Google. Googling every possible thing. So I did my homework and there was something that struck me. You said, I don't I don't mean to be crude here, but there was a time in my studio where I was urinating into <laughs> a mason jar. True. So we see Micheline now. Right. Yes. And it's, it's so funny. So that glamorous. You, it's so funny you bring up me urinating in a mason jar. The person I used to urinate in a mason jar, uh-huh. I had dinner with him last night. Well, that <laughs> is full circle my, life. My I colleague love it. and best friend, uh, David Antonio Cruz, he's an amazing artist as well. Yeah. It was my first studio outside of the studio museum and my first professional studio outside of graduate school. So after Yale, you come back to Brooklyn. After Yale, I go to Studio Museum in Harlem. Uh Then after that, I come back to Brooklyn. Uh And I'm looking for a space. And at the time, Dumbo's the place. That's where everyone is. Everyone's in Dumbo. But Dumbo's very expensive. Even then, Dumbo for artists was expensive. Like people, artists had incredible lofts Uh and lived workspaces. But those were particular people with a... Different financial brackets. Trust funds. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? They had they yeah. had money in their pockets in yeah. other ways. And so they had like cool lofts, you know, you elevator up, open up, you know, it's yeah. just like an art lofts that artists dream of. And so sure. for me, I kind of wanted to be in that energy, mm-hmm. but I knew I couldn't really afford it at the time. So I found the space in this building on Plymouth Street. And it was above a recycling center. So downstairs were all these recycling trucks. And it kind of like smelled because just like all the recycling materials just stinky because it's moisture and all this stuff on it. And the space that I was renting Mm -hmm. was occupied by someone who was living there. So he decided, he was an artist, that he, for whatever reason, needed to rent part of the space out. And so the space that he was renting out that I saw that I could afford, I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I can afford this. Yeah. I found it on Craigslist and it was, the description was all wrong. It was like 600 square feet, you know, and it made it sound like you had your own entrance and all this. We had to enter through his living room to get to our room. And finally, eventually he built a wall and we had another entrance, but we had, that's how we had to enter through his live workspace to get to our space. So it was basically in his apartment. Sure. We couldn't use the bathroom. He wouldn't allow us to use the restroom. I couldn't afford the space by myself. So I asked my colleague, David Antonio Cruz. Who you had dinner with last night. Who I had dinner with last night, who was, you know, applying to graduate schools and creating a great portfolio for himself. But I said, let's get this space And it was basically we each had a wall, but there was no bathroom. And this guy would not let us use the bathroom. (laughs) So David and I being prolific and being like this sort of like artist, artist with paint and smell and oil and like in it. And we didn't want to go downstairs. We were, I think, on a fifth or sixth floor and the go and sometimes the elevator wouldn't work. And then sometimes the 
retail or restaurants wouldn't let you use their bathroom. And sometimes you're just like in a creative space and you have to pee and you don't want to leave. So we decided to have mason jars. To pee in. To squat in. Me squat, him like standing with his legs. I mean, it was easy for him to just aim and shoot. Yeah. But I, was, I would say, turn your head, I got to pee. And so when we had studio visits, we would alternate and make sure, you know, some private time for those moments. And there were like a line of mason jars. And people were like, oh, that's like, Michelin, you don't want to know. Stop. Then we would have to carry it out, but we have to, like, where are we going to take it and pour it? And it was just like, so we were collecting our urine <laughs> in mason jars until we could go either home or find a place to dump it. It's like some Warhol shit so, right there. I mean, like, there was some real struggle. Well, growing up as an artist. And that's and that, why. And that was just one of many sure. things. But there was a lot of that. There was a lot of scrapping. Well, and that's why <laughs> I I brought it up, right? Not to just, it is, it's amazing and hysterical and all the things, but it's such a full circle thing, yeah. right? If you knew in that moment that however many years later, Dior would be approaching you yeah. to make a fucking handbag. Yeah, two. <laughs> and a second, because the first was that successful. That's right. But and seriously, right? Like you look back, I'm sure as you do at your life and your career, and you know, these things are not luck. You know, this no. is major hunger, drive, scrappiness, passion, desire, passion, support, and friendship. Because to be quite honest, it's my friend David and I, we're struggling together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was great to have that sort of camaraderie and knowing that we, I mean, there were times even, you know, not to bring up everyone in my cohort at that time, but like Kehende Wiley, David Kehende and I, we would always get together, hang out. And sometimes we would want to go out to bars and just like, okay, how much you have? How much you have? And we like pull, it. To pull our money together and just throw it in. It's just like, okay, how many drinks we're going to have that night each? We're in this <laughs> together. <laughs> you know what I mean? You get two. But that was, that was the fun of it, of like coming together and still knowing that we're all going to our separate studios, working very hard. But then we wanted to get together and have fun. We were just like, okay, what's in your pocket? Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that was like, some of us were like, putting out coins it was just like okay we got you we got you you know you know like and that's support of knowing that even in times when they're hard that you have that kinship and friendship of people who are going to be there for you early in your career whether you're an artist or you know any any other career that like major passion and desire that pulls you through the hard time because you have it's it's, I liken it to falling in love right you are falling in love Mm -hmm. with your craft with your art with your community and that because it it is hard for a lot of people I love having that history and knowing that that's part of my journey and my narrative it's a story but also what I love about it is that all of us as our individual characters Mm -hmm. where we are today like collectively, yeah. like collectively, you can look back, we're collectively successful. We're collectively doing our thing. You know what I mean? And we can, you know, like just sitting with David on my stoop last night and just like, 
seeing where he's at in his career and just we're just talking and just looking by and thinking like looking at ourselves because we're actually admiring how good we look right now. Great. <laughs> Great. And we're and we're like looking, we we're like, oh my gosh, we look at we look like our younger selves. Isn't it great? You know, just like really celebrating each other and just happy and saying like, wow, like being grateful, like just really being grateful, be like, wow, look where we are. Look what we're doing. Look what's happening. You know, like, can you believe it? Like, but we're all doing it. And so we can celebrate each other and appreciate it and just see each other prosper and grow and just go, that's my, that's my girl. That's my boy. Like, and when when younger emergent artists think it's just like it just happens because of that that they just walk out their door and it's like oh it, it the moment it, it, it's and they look at our careers and there's a story behind it like David's been working more than twenty five years on his career you know like Derek all of it we've been we've been working hard for so many years on our career it didn't happen overnight. And you no, know, to be quite honest, I'm glad it didn't happen overnight for me. Well, the appreciation yeah, like, level um, probably wouldn't be there. No, I'm I'm glad that there was like major struggle, major obstacles that I had to break through and persevere, and that I just had a really good support system, and I still do. And so for me, that's what I really encourage with younger artists is to find your community, find your tribe, Mm -hmm. like build your tribe of people, you know? And even though all of us, we're not like talking or hanging out every day. Sometimes we're just sending texts, just checking in, nothing else. How you doing girl? How you doing boo? Love you. And send love to each other and just like, oh, I can't be there. But I send flowers when I can go to my friend's openings or if they're doing something amazing because I want to be there in spirit. And then when we see each other, it's it's like 20 years ago. Speaking of careers, most of my first exhibitions didn't come from some gallerist seeing my work on a wall or seeing me exhibit somewhere. It came from my friends saying to these gallerists, oh, you should show Micheline Thomas. It was Greater New York. PS moment, PS one, 2005. They had already selected their list of artists. Derek Adams was selected. And I think Saya Wolfcock, she was selected. And so they both looked at the list and said to the curators, there's an artist you don't have here. And they said, who? And they said, Micheline Thomas. And so from those two artists putting my name forth, I got a studio visit after they had already selected everyone. And that really helped put you on the yeah. map. I mean, that exhibition. Everyone, everyone. So what I'm saying is that you don't, it's your It's about peers. community. It's about community. Yeah. It's really about community. Oh, yeah. It's the same for my first gallery show at Rona Hoffman, Candy Wiley. Told Rona when she was coming to the city, you need to do a studio visit with Micheline Thomas. It was because of Wageshi Mutu that I got my first gallery show with Suzanne Vilmeter in Los Angeles. If you look at genres of art throughout history and movements, how fauvism and all of these different type of genres were created, they were created by groups of artists I, I was, branching yeah. off from other groups and saying, you know what? Nah. That I'm concept, do it this that's way. Not, and then they come together and they support each other and they and they move and they go, you know what? 
Here's a salon show. You know who's not there? Why isn't such and such there? They start dropping the names and then that sort of salon invites those artists. Yeah. It's always been that way. It's the community of artists that foster and support each other and sort of push them forward. And that's why it's important to have residencies and platforms yeah. like Artists in the Market at the Bronx, Pratt Forward, Next Haven, The Last Resort, what the Astor Gates doing, what Lauren, what Lauren Halsey's doing in California, what Mark Bradford's doing with Art and Practice. Like all of these spaces that brings artists sure. together so that they have a built-in community, so that they understand the support system is there and that they're not alone. Yep. And that they can tap into a network of people that is going to support them. This goes the same for art professionals yeah. such as myself. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here interviewing Micheline Thomas. Mm -hmm. I met Micheline through Jane South. I was invited to be on the platform during COVID. Yeah. Now I'm going back in a couple of weeks. You know, th these are the things that happen and these people kind of pull together yeah. and share resources. Mm -hmm. And It's about creating a really strong ecosystem for artists. And so when I think of art careers, that's what I think about. Every time I'm invited to teach or be a visiting artist mm -hmm. at a university or art institution, I always propose that I do a seminar that's similar to what is an artist in the market. And that's how Pratt Forward came. So basically what Pratt Forward is, was my seminar classes that I would do. <laughs> and so yeah. for me, it's really important to have these open discussions with artists because oftentimes they're really apprehensive and shy because they don't know to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. But if you put them in an environment where they feel safe and comfortable, then they're going to be open and willing to ask questions that they think, oh, I should know. Yeah. Because everyone's walking around like I, they should know things. Every, I'm, and they don't I'm know. walking around thinking you know? that still for some things. <laughs> you know, you we, know? All, we, we like, all do it. No. But it's just like. You got to ask. We got to ask the questions. Yeah. And some, so many people are afraid to because they think that it's things that should be in their bucket of knowledge and it's not that aren't or they or there's not taught or they assume like they're looking at someone's career and thinking like oh that's how they must have done yeah. it there are no regulations there are no rules no. and so everyone's we're just making them up as we go along and so for me i want to create some systems some systems of foundations yeah. that is kind of a package for artists. Right. Like, no, you actually don't have to sign the contract. Exactly. No, actually, if you're not comfortable with 50-50, you don't have to, right? There exactly. You models. don't, yeah, exactly. Don't have to sign a contract. And you know what? The 50-50 model is archaic and it was made up for a very specific reason, which I understand because when you think of what the word Patron means mm -hmm. patron is means to serve. That's what patron means. It means to serve. So the whole notion of patrons and collectors and galleries were created out of sort of the salon and out of sort of a way of nurturing and fostering and taking care of artists. So it made sense at that time because they were like doing everything for us. They were paying the rent. They were feeding them. They were housing them. They give them the supplies. Serving them. Serving them, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so therefore that model works. Like, of course you're going to get some of your right, investment fair. back that yep. you put in. Good. 
50%. Sure. That doesn't necessarily work today. And it's not something that's written and stated. It's just something that just evolved. Yeah. And I learned that just by asking questions to artists that I looked to and I would scratch my head. I was like, hmm, like what percentage is Tracy Emin and I'm giving? You know what I mean? And so I would just start having conversations with artists. No one could ever tell me why there was a definitive like 50-50. And when it was explained from various perspectives, yes, it made sense. Mm -hmm. But what they were saying didn't make sense to me because they weren't doing all of those things. And I would say, well, I'm doing some of those things too. Yeah. What about my operating expenses? Yeah. (laughs) What about my risk and my investment? you're representing yourself too. Because in some ways, a lot of these galleries aren't supporting the artists in that way. They're not supporting the production. They're not supporting sort of the studios. And artists are taking... 100% 100% of the risk up front, but then having them pay, get 50% of it back. They're also not pushing, <laughs> they're also not pushing the work all the time unless yeah. you're the popular kid on the block. Yeah. And so I look at these artists that have signed these contracts that can't end, can't show anywhere yeah. else, and, and the gallery isn't even yeah. pushing that work. Look, I'm for contracts. I am too. I'm for contracts if they're about million dollar deals. Right. You know, right. like there are certain contracts that are needed to be on the table because that's a different conversation. That's a different sort of agreement. And then you go through contracts. But when it's just like a group show or yeah, when you're starting are you, out, are you starting out with a, a gallery that's a young gallerist or even a, a blue chip gallery, if you're an artist, there's no need for a contract unless they're agreeing to do a lot of things for you yeah. and with you. Because to me, relationships with anyone outside of my studio is a partnership. And so we have to treat it as a partnership. We have to treat it as that we're both doing this business and the the respect level. And I think oftentimes a lot of gallerists aren't really treating the artist as a partner when really it is. It is that. (laughs) Because you need each other, right? Yeah, that's and we're all a, and it's is. a part of the pyramid structure, and we're all part of that pyramid ecosystem, and how it all plays out. And so, I think a lot of times the artist is the last one considered. It it reflects in secondary market. It reflects in other various markets of how it shakes out. That artists are considered last when it comes to monetary gain or support through corporations and and contracts and stuff, copyrights, all of that. Everyone wants to own artist copyright. It's like you read a contract and it's just like, you want me to sign over my copyrights for this just because you want to use an image of an artwork that you bought 15 years ago? <laughs> so you, so then therefore I can never use that image that only you have the proprietary rights for it. So these are the kind of things that I've learned throughout my career and questioned and still question and always have a really difficult time getting answers. So I was like, why not create a platform for that where I pull in professionals that I know to come together and provide their expertise to artists. So that's how I structured my classes when I was doing seminars. And so just to speak about Pratt Forward just a little quick. And so I'm talking to Jane 
and I proposed this, and, we're to, and she just thought it was a fabulous idea because I wanted to do it at Pratt. But she circled back and said, what if we do it for postgraduates? And I said, fabulous. You were down for that. Oh, yeah, completely. As someone extremely passionate about mental health, seeing a therapist is essential to my quality of life. We'd like to take this moment to announce how thrilled we are to partner with the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp. If you think you might be feeling anxious, depressed, or even just overwhelmed, being alone with your thoughts can be an isolating feeling. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. It's that easy. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And just for the Art Career Podcast listeners, we will offer 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash T-A-C. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P, dot com slash T-A-C. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring the Art Career Podcast. For me, the most interesting part of your work is your approach to pleasure. Yes. And uh, there's a quote here. It's not simply pleasure. It's your approach to pleasure. It's not simply about shifting the gaze from one pair of eyeballs to another. It's about shifting the idea of what feels good, what looks good, to one in which black queer femme desire can be a baseline, not an aberration. So that was a quote. That I said? It sounds like something I said. That is your quote. Gosh, I... When did I say that? I mean, again, Micheline, the amount that I read about you, you know, I've read no, everything. No, but it's, but it's but true. It's, it's, it is about shifting that. It's about shifting that. So speak to that a little bit. Because really, I mean, that when I look at your work, it's this new approach to pleasure. I'm really interested in erotica and specifically black erotica mm-hmm. in a way where we're not, we're unapologetic about mm-hmm. it. And that we don't have to justify or explain our desire. And so it comes a lot for me understanding the women in my life who personified or exude this uh, sensuality about themselves in a way that allowed me some agency, right? And so while I was at Yale, there was just always these stereotypical images of women and specifically black women, that I didn't see in my community of women. I was like, well, why are they, like, that's not how the women in my family are. Or I see women in my life, that there's so much more than that. But they still walk in a room and they sort of have this prowess of who they are and understanding and the sexuality that isn't embraced in a way or celebrated in a way that I was seeing. So for me, I wanted to bring that forth and how I, through my lens, saw the women, the black women in my life and how that sort of eroticness that they had also gave them their 
it was vulnerable, but it gave them their strength. They were independent. They were all of these incredible attributes that define them as black women, plus with their sexuality. But it was like, oh, don't show that because then you're this, you're this hoochie mama, you're this, you're that. There's like all of these labels put on you. And for me, black erotica and erotica itself fills the void of sort of this aspiration of love and acceptance and confidence and beauty and all of those things that for me as a person who identifies as queer sees in women that I want to pull out in a way where it's just like they embrace it and they just walk around with it with their heads up and like, this is who I am. I think erotica and sort of sexuality is about how you feel about yourself. It's not necessarily a physical act of doing something. It's an energy. And to me, I, for a long time, didn't see that in myself. So I think it became more of an art therapy for me of seeking that out in others. I saw it a lot in women in my life, in my, my family, my mother, my partners, but I didn't always see it in myself. So it was this desire that I was sort of gravitated towards and wanted to put forth because it was an aspect of me that I longed for, even though I, I know I, it was in me and it comes out, but I didn't see it in myself. And so self-portraits and these images that I was creating was a lot about me and having the models or muses almost as conduits to who I was and how I want to see myself. Do you see it in yourself now? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But it was through the it was through my art that I had to sort of birth that birth and grow into, you know, and 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 understand it. And it was that that process of like exploration. And there are a lot of images of myself too in, in black erotica and started that. Start I started with myself because yeah. it was this journey with myself and then my partner at the time and mm -hmm. then my mother and then cousins and friends and the partners again and the friends again and the partners again. And so for me it was like this sort of journey into that. But yes, I started with myself. Most of my newest work is really a lot about me, even though it's archival images of the Jet magazine, because mm -hmm. these are images that I grew up with that sort of validated my sense of self and mm -hmm. awareness of self, if anything, of what beauty was, you know? And so that excites me to come full circle through the resources of my images and come back to me. I think art is just an extension of who you are, and when you can operate from that authentic space, then you tap into a creative process that you can really claim for yourself. And the hope is for me, and I can only speak from a place from who I am, my hope is that I create an impact enough within my work. I create work enough that someone's inspired by, enough to be moved by, to be challenged by to be to to see themselves to go I can do in the same way when I saw Carrie Mae Weems photographs in Portland her table series that's what you felt in that that's moment. what I felt and it's almost like chasing that really within my art it's really chasing that
I want that. I want that. And I always tell Carrie Mae Weems, just like, you know, when you think of like, um, people talk about like Mark Rothko's work mm-hmm. and how there's this spiritual sort of element with his work when you're sitting in front of it. And that's why I always notice with his work, there's always this kind of place to contemplate, to sit down. For me, CMW, Carrie Mae Weems, was and is someone within her work that transformed this little girl to an artist, to a woman, by making the images she make. And that's the power of art. And that's why art is so important, because you never know whose life you're going to impact and what it's going to do. Me standing at the Portland Museum in 1995 changed my life, really changed my life. Because I've never until then saw myself in art. Think of that. And in that moment, your entire trajectory has been putting images that relate to me in the art so others can see themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to me, that's why artists are just so incredible. We are sort of the foundation of this universe. I really believe that. Like, If you're an artist, if you're creating something in the world, you're giving back. You're giving something to the world so that someone can connect to, whether it's music, your writing. It doesn't matter. Your dance, any art form. It's that power of connection that we were power, talking that's about. That's how we communicate. It's a language. Art is a language. And when you can connect with something that you didn't think you would ever be able to connect yeah, to, yeah. right? And those are my moments. That and And this moment you're talking about It's quite emotional because really in those moments, you are given the opportunity, you are given life to move forward with your creativity and accomplish, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's, I don't know. Being an artist and deciding to be an artist is such a radical act. It really is. It's a radical act. It's a radical decision. Because for so long, artists were considered like, oh, why are you doing that? It's a romantic notion. Like, yeah, but it's yet, put down. It's put down. But yet, no, our artists are yeah, successful. Look at you. Look at, look at, look at many of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look at many of us, yeah. right? And the lives that we're able to live and lead and prosper and give and change. And so many of the artists that I respect are giving back to their communities in large ways. And- It inspires me when I see them doing that, when I see them creating other environments for artists to just have the space to create. Now you're an artist who is shifting and creating a sort of new dichotomy of birthing, of making it. That's the legacy of it. And that's the religion of it, right? It's the religion. I love that. Yeah, it is the religion of it. Because then, like I was saying before, it's a language... Like, if you speak Spanish, you can speak Spanish wherever in the world. If you're an artist, you make art, someone connects it. And it's like music. You make music, you, you have don't no have idea. to be from that culture, but yeah. someone somewhere else in that world connects to your music because it's the music, it's the art of the music that they respond, that resonates with them, that hits their souls, that they connect with. 
You know, it's like hip hop all over the world, dance, you know, you have yeah. voguing all over the world, all of these art forms all over the world. And it can be whoever. And it doesn't mean that it had the birth there. You have hip hop and voguing coming from the Bronx and people are doing it in Germany. Yeah. You, you see what I mean? It's just like they're connecting oh, to yeah. it. Oh, yeah, you've got the because kids in Brazil playing Brazil, soccer, exactly. listening to the Bronx hip-hop. I mean, exactly. it's, because it's the art of it. It's the religion of it Yeah, that moves them. And to me, that's incredible. I would not change my life. I would want to come back again as an artist in my next reincarnation, in any other iteration I want to come back as an artist. I want to come back as a creator. And whether it's an artist in music or dance, whatever form, architecture, anything, I want to be able to be someone who's making things in the world for people to experience. And and to be able to experience that level of empowerment. Mm -hmm. Because that's the, you know, when I get, I get a lot of emails, <laughs> we get, but the emails that I really respond to is the letters of individuals and people, no matter what ethnicity they are. I got an email from this young white man from Ireland okay, who saw my art and said how he connected to it and he loved it and just said thank you. Like, no questions, no whatever, just thank you. Just thank you. Thanks for making your work. Thanks for making your work. It's really beautiful. You just never know. You know, when I had my show at the Brooklyn Museum and there was this very matured woman standing in front of it, she was probably in about her late, at the time, 60s. Okay. And she was standing in front of Lodigene, and it's huge. And I was there with the curator, Eugenie Sai, walking through. And so it was nice because I was probably like one of my walkthroughs after the opening and seeing people at the show is kind of a great buzz because mm -hmm. you're like, wow, okay. My first museum show, people are actually coming to see it. This is great. This woman seen standing in front of Ladijane. And we just happened to just stop close by. And she was talking and speaking to someone she was with, granddaughter, daughter, I don't know, saying how, wow, this is incredible. Only if I can meet the artist. And you were standing right there? And I was there. standing right And Eugenie heard her say that. And she's like, Nicolene. So I just stood next to her and I started talking. I was like, yeah, isn't this great? She's like, I see myself in these. She's like, that's, that's, like, that's my cousin right there. And that's my sister. And that's, this is so incredible. If I can meet the artist... And I turned around and I said, hi, I'm the artist. She started crying. Yeah. She's like, no, you're not. I was like, yes, I am. She's like, no, you can't be. I said, yes, I am. She's like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. For me, I carried that moment away. I was like, wow. Or when you go, you have a show at the CAC in New Orleans, and you do your first big video and it's about comedians and singers and sort of black women and celebrities and, and the media, and you pull and edit and juxtapose all of these sort of narratives together to tell a story about Black women, and you see this person sitting there by themselves, and they're like crying. And we said, are you okay? And they're like, I just thought this is amazing. I see myself. I see every myself in all of these women. Thank you. Thank you. 
thank you. I always think in sort of my Buddhist philosophy, all you have to do is change one person. So that's what I aspire to. The little girl, like Carrie Mae Wing, changing that one person, which was me. So when I'm making work, I'm like, care about anyone else. If I can impact one person, then I did my job. Because that one person is going to spread it. And create communities and support systems. And you don't know what that person was going through that day. They could have lost whatever faith they have in themselves at that moment. And you could have helped them regain whatever faith they need for themselves. It's not about religion. It's about spirituality. It's about like having faith that you can make the art that you make when you get up in the morning. You know what I mean? And that you put that back into someone. Because we all, every day, no matter who we are, have our own obstacles and our hardships. And you never know at any moment that person could have decided to give up hope. So that's what I aspire to, to catch them, to be the person, to say, here's the baton, you can do this. That's what I aspire to do in my practice, my art. Good news right now for you, L'Orangerie. Yes. What's happening in Paris? My first museum show in Europe. (laughs) And I'm really excited. And one of the pieces is going to be installed across from what? (laughs) It's it's Monet's Water Lilies, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Monet's Water Lilies. There's three pieces across from Monet's Water Lilies in a rotunda. And then there's a huge one that is going to be probably my my production manager, Jeff Freeland, uh, did research to see if it was going to be one of the largest collages made. Is it? Second. We just, just a little, we could make it a little large, but it's then we won't be able to get it into the space. It's uh, thinking about 10 by 18 feet. And it's an image of Monet's house. So this particular exhibition is very special because it's really about my experience as an artist in relationship to another artist and my time at his estate and Giverny. And so a lot of these images come from my experience there. I did other bodies of work with it, but just through conversation with the museum, it was really nice to go back and sort of look at these images and how Monet has sort of created this way of working for me in a sense where looking at him as an artist of how he created his, his spaces for himself mm-hmm. to make work from and be inspired by. And I do that in my own work with the immersive spaces that I've created or the installations that I create to photograph my mm-hmm. models and using my environment as inspiration for work. Something that I find very interesting to create your own world to work from. So there's going to be a a 12-monitor video of Mia's Muse, which is a video of myself reclined in the nude as an odalesque, juxtaposed with art historical images of reclining nudes throughout history, with the narrative of... Eartha Kitt speaking from an interview she had with Terry Wogman in 1989, I believe, talking about her life 
the transformative nature of her going from Eartha Kitt to Eartha May, talking about the success, violence, and abuse of a child and growing up. And so it's her narrative that goes through the video as you see these images. And I just thought it was so important to use her as a voice for me because it defines me in so many other ways. And her being someone who has lived in Paris and resided there, I thought it was just a really great pointed way to have the figure in a landscape, but also have a narrative of a figure in the landscape. So I'm creating this immersive environment that emulates Monet's garden. And so these 12 monitors are gonna be in the landscape with my figure. So I'm really looking forward to that. So I need to make it. We need to make to it there. Paris. It's going to be up for a while. Yeah. So it's opening what October twelfth. October twelfth, and it and it, it's it, up for how long? Until mid mid to late February. I believe that a lot of people are going to see this show and be very excited about it. And also opens during a really great time for uh, Basel, oh, which yeah. is now Perry Plus opens uh, a week later. So I'll be there for that. Um, to give some tours Ugh. and walkthroughs for whoever wants to see it and hear me speak about it. And it's very exciting. It's the first time I'm showing these works of Monet and sort of this dialogue. So it's exciting. It's What's more exciting is that Paris is in, embracing a lot of artists like myself, African-American artists, and in, in, in exhibiting. And I think that has a lot to do with Lorna Simpson, I remember seeing her show at Jus de Palm, mm -hmm. which was really great. A lot of other artists have been showing in Paris, so it's nice to follow behind them. And, sure. and But also, I think Denise Morel's show of The Black Model, that show that Musée d'Orsay has really allowed for museums of this nature to really consider other type of voices within art to exhibit. I think they're really starting to look at artists. Now I'm starting a conversation with Musée Picasso. I'm in a group show with them, and we're in conversation with future shows with them. So I'm excited about that. And then I'm preparing for my show at the, you know, in conversations with my show at the Hayward in 2024. So there's a lot happening, really, really moving forward with it. You're magic. You're such a force. I'm so in awe. Well, I have to say I'm a force because of my mentors. Yeah. Well, yeah, because of the people and women that I look to and see how they're moving in space, how they're handling their business. You know what I mean? Like you have to pay attention, you have right? To pay attention. Listen and pay attention. And if you can do that, magic can happen, yeah. you know? Of course. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. This has been wonderful. Thanks, Micheline. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Art Career. If you get value from this podcast, please consider helping me make more of these episodes by becoming an Art Career Premium member at theartcareer.supercast.com. That's theartcareer.supercast.com. S-U-P-E-R-C-A-S-T dot com. And please don't forget to rate 
and review. Every rating counts. Thanks so much.